I've just invented a sketch of a decent, sensitive guy. Well, maybe I'm not nice, you know? He's not like other guys. He's a nice guy. Sorry, I'm not like a gross guy trying to hit on you or anything. If we look at the nice guy on screen, we can break down the qualities that define him. He's a hopeless romantic. I brought you these and a poem I wrote for you. The nice guy can be found obsessively pining after a girl, making grand gestures, or jumping way ahead in planning the future of a relationship. I have found the future Mrs. Ted Mosby. But much to his chagrin, he's often pegged as friend material instead of as a true boyfriend contender. You waited too long to make your move and now you're in the friend zone. This obsessive lover boy lives in his head. Well, you know, you're not always one to face things. And frequently struggles to act on his feelings. You can just ask her out. Don't be stupid. But the central irony of the nice guy is that he's not actually that nice. Women never go for the nice guy. Please, men say that, but you get to know some of these men who complain the most, you find out they're not as nice as they like to think they are. He may be the polar opposite of the stereotypical male commitment phobe, but his supposed romantic streak is really just projecting a fantasy onto the woman he likes. They do that thing where they put you on a pedestal and they dote on you even though you've never expressed any interest. He talks about how girls go for the wrong type of guys. He's gonna use your ass and throw you away! But this rhetoric is usually just an empty cover for wishing he had the ladies' man's confidence and mojo. Guarda tutte le cose belle. And while he isn't intimidating or threatening on the surface, the unrequited love he's too scared to pursue can lead to a toxic buildup of resentment or bitterness. I don't handle rejection well. <laughs> Funny, considering all the practice I've had, huh? The wisdom in our culture has long been that nice guys finish last. So how did we end up with a whole subgroup of male characters who are trying really hard to be seen as nice? Here's our take on the nice guy, what's behind his niceness, why he's his own worst enemy, and why, even if some of these guys are frauds, the real thing can still exist. This video is brought to you by Audible, the best audiobook service out there with the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet. Click the link in our description, audible.com slash the take, or text the take to 500-500 to start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. You'll get to choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Start listening today. The nice guy himself hasn't necessarily changed all that much over time, but in recent years, there have been huge shifts in the way viewers look at him. For most of history, the male character who relentlessly pursued his love object, regardless of whether she was sure about him, was portrayed as charming and sweet. It's a pity you don't have as much charm as you have persistence. But I have! You've only seen the aggressive side of me. What do you say? Come on. <laughs> All right, you win. In Fred Astaire movies like Top Hat and The Gay Divorcee, the male lead's intense infatuation with and pursuit of a woman he doesn't know well is presented as normal because he's so in love. Peekaboo. Stop this cab at once. One of the most definitive examples of the nice guy trope is Ducky in 1986's Pretty in Pink. He's a really nice guy. He harbors an unrequited crush on his best friend Andy, and most of the time is an obnoxious pest, constantly badgering her for attention. 6.15, Duck Dale again. Call me, okay? Andy, where are you? This is the duck. Give me a call, okay? Uh, it's 6.28. 
Ducky consistently overlooks what Andy wants, instead thinking he knows what's best. I won't take no for an answer. Try, please. When he finds out that she's interested in dating rich guy Blaine, he tries to shame her out of her crush. You can't do this and, and respect yourself. Well, I'll make that decision, all right? So ultimately, Ducky's kindness is contingent on a woman living her life on his terms. So, so when you get your heart splattered all over hell and, and you're feeling really low and dirty, don't, don't look to me to help pump you back up, cause, 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 cause maybe for the first time in your life, I won't be there! But in spite of all this bad behavior, the original movie ending that writer John Hughes wanted brought Andy and Ducky together at the prom. Test audiences booed this conclusion, suggesting that our culture already had a lower tolerance for the nice guy than filmmakers may have thought. Listen, may I admire you again today? 90s and 2000s shows featured nice guy characters pining for their dream woman, but struggling to express this in a healthy way. Take Brian Krakow on My So-Called Life. When he's jealous about Angela's relationship with dreamboat Jordan Catalano, he starts a spiteful rumor that the two had sex. Her and Jordan at Brian's house. Oh my god. Can you believe it? Right in the front yard. Brian watched the entire thing through his kitchen window. Ross Geller on Friends and Ted Mosby on How I Met Your Mother begin their respective series wanting to find the one as soon as possible. I'm done being single. I don't want to be single, okay? I just, I just, I just want to be married again. Both men fixate on a woman they feel is perfect, developing an out-of-control infatuation even though she's not quite on the same page. I don't want to get married right now, maybe ever. After Ross wins his lobster, Rachel, things go sour when she starts establishing a new independent identity and career, leading him to act out in jealous, controlling ways. Can't a guy send a barbershop quartet to his girlfriend's office anymore? It was like you were marking your territory. I mean, you might as well have just come in and peed all around my desk. When these shows were on the air, we were still meant to sympathize with Ross and Ted and root for them to get the girl. So in many of these cases, it's only in looking back that some viewers start to find the nice guy's behavior creepy. If only I knew her schedule, I could arrange a chance encounter. That's great, Ted. You'll be the most casual stalker ever. More recently, though, our culture has turned on this character type, even coining the term nice guy syndrome to describe the wolf in sheep's clothing who performs niceness with ulterior motives. You pretend to be nice and that's worse. It follows that modern nice guys on screen are viewed through a more critical, self-aware lens. Everyone says he's a really nice guy. Good point. That's exactly the problem. Because he's so nice, people don't want to think he's capable of awful things, so they let him off the hook. If you look back, you can find subtle critiques of the nice guy scattered throughout film history. In 1951's A Place in the Sun, our seemingly nice hero wants to be with Elizabeth Taylor's rich, beautiful Angela so badly that he plots to murder his poor pregnant girlfriend to get her out of the way. And there was a moment when you might have saved her. Who were you thinking of just at that moment? And your heart was murdered, George. In 1958's Vertigo, the apparently harmless Scotty, played by Jimmy Stewart, subverting his own nice guy persona, is so fixated on the idea of a perfect, non-existent woman that he obsessively controls an actual girlfriend. The color of your hair. Oh, no. Judy, please, it can't matter to you. And inadvertently causes her death. In 1965's Repulsion, an exploration of female fear of men, nice guy Colin aggressively pursues Carol, even though she doesn't engage with him. Are you playing hard to get? When she won't open her apartment door to see him, Colin breaks it down, justifying this threatening, violent behavior as an expression of his romantic passion. 
Well, I have to see you, that's all. But when it comes to our modern skepticism of the nice guy, the tide started to turn with 2009's 500 Days of Summer, which was meant to be a deconstruction of the trope. The story looks at how the idealistic Tom projects onto his dream girl Summer, ignoring all the time she tells him that she's not looking for love. I just don't feel comfortable being anyone's girlfriend. I just don't want to relate. Well, you're not the only one that gets to say in this. I do too. And I say we're a couple. God damn it. Director Mark Webb said, the movie is very intentionally told from the perspective of the guy, and we wanted to identify his shortcomings. He wasn't observing the inner life of the summer character. He projected on her. We think of that as romantic, but really it's just intellectual laziness. It's Tom's fault. Uh, I think that if you really pay attention, Tom's not listening to Summer. When you hear something that doesn't fit into what you wanted to hear, you still have to update your thinking. Still, the movie's intended message didn't stop many viewers from seeing Summer, who herself is a deconstruction of the manic pixie dream girl trope, as the villain who coldly breaks Tom's heart. This popular misreading reveals that, at the time 500 Days came out, culture was still biased in favor of the nice guy. That same year, Inglorious Bastards gave us Frederick Zoller, who presents himself as a polite, smitten suitor. C'était un plaisir de discuter avec une consoeur cinéphile. But the film subverts this because this guy is a literal Nazi who snaps when Shoshana turns him down one too many times. Frédéric, vous m'avez fait mal. Ma foi. Ça fait plaisir de voir que vous pouvez ressentir quelque chose. Même si c'est juste la douleur physique. Love Simon's antagonist Martin also sees himself as a nice guy, though no one else does. He cruelly blackmails Simon. He told me that if I didn't help him get with Abby, he'd out me. But when his romantic grand gesture for his crush Abby bombs, he does out Simon after all. We should all probably be talking about this instead of Martin Addison's homecoming debacle, which was actually kind of sweet and romantic if you think about it. Netflix's You is the darkest subversion of the trope yet. Bookstore manager Joe creates a perfect nice guy image to win back. I mean, you're a nice guy with the... Your remarkable stuff. But he's actually stalking her, tailoring his personality to what he knows about her, and killing off anyone who poses a threat to their relationship. Everything I do, I do to protect you, Beck. 2020's Promising Young Woman offers a full-on revenge fantasy, in which vigilante Cassie targets fake nice guys she knows will try to take advantage of her. I go to a club. I act like I'm too drunk to stand. And every week, a nice guy comes over to see if I'm okay. Okay? Thus, the movie's takeaway is similar to you. These men who tell themselves they're protecting a woman from the bad people out there are really the ones she needs protection from. You are the bad thing. You are the thing that you should have killed. I'm a nice guy. Are you? Ultimately, the nice guy has evolved from the underdog romantic into the villain of our times. I used to think it was something else. That you wanted me to be yours, that you wanted to possess me, but no, this is so much simpler than that. You hate yourself. This shift in popular opinion is largely due to the Me Too movement and a growing awareness of the nuances of male entitlement. As Rebecca Polly writes for Mashable, you used to be able to shrug aside the nice guy's more stalkery tendencies, so the media they appeared in told us, because they were just so damn harmless. What can a socially awkward nerd really do? The answer, we now realize, is a lot. If it's creepy to use the internet, military satellites, and robot aircraft to find a house full of gorgeous young models so that I can drop in on them unexpectedly, then fine, I'm creepy. 
I'm a nice guy. Because I, I, I'm telling you, if you say no, I'm going to be there every day at that, at that coffee shop having breakfast until you say yes to me. The nice guy is largely defined by his romantic side, but this character's infatuation frequently takes the woman's desires out of the equation. I just don't think of you that way. I'll try. I'll wait. Romantics like Ross, Ted, Tom, and Ducky are so single-minded and sure they found their soulmates that they don't pause to consider whether their love object feels the same. I'd like to marry her. So ultimately, the nice guy needs to accept that you can't will someone into feeling what you feel. You can love Andy, but that doesn't mean she's going to love you back. What I'm trying to say is you can't make it happen. Downton Abbey offers one of the most interesting cases of this phenomenon. Daisy never feels anything remotely romantic for kind, gentle William, yet she's pressured into marrying him to make him happy. You always said I wouldn't have to marry him when it came to it. Daisy, he's dying. What difference does it make? Nice Guy stories tend to send the troubling message that a man's relentless persistence will reward him with the woman in the end. I mean, sometimes persistence pays off. I said yes eventually. This is reflective of a culture where no is often interpreted to mean convince me. What could she mean when she says no? I don't know. It is totally cryptic. This is far from over. On How I Met Your Mother, Ted's whole guiding philosophy is that you should never back off and move on, even when it's completely inappropriate. Like when the woman you love is engaged to your friend. And when you love someone, you just, you, you don't stop. Ever. Even when people roll their eyes or call you crazy, even then, especially then. You just, you don't give up. The nice guy is the kind of person who bemoans that chivalry is dead. A couple of nice guys, which stopped being a desirable character trait about half a century ago. But this passion for respecting women may not be all that it appears. Sometimes I swear I'm the only real feminist you know. I'm wearing this shirt and you won't even let me nut! The nice guy often makes romance into a moral issue, so that if a girl doesn't like him, she must just not like being treated well. She rejected romance, honesty, and respect. He expects the woman to be interested in him because of his inner goodness, or because he's so in love with her. But this idea is hypocritical, because the nice guy is usually drawn to his crush at least in part out of physical attraction. He's not exactly looking around for an awkward girl on his level of the social hierarchy and falling for her just because of the intensity of her feelings. Finally, this character type often builds up a fantasy of his love interest that isn't representative of who she really is. Well, I guess I'm no longer the virgin queen of Dawson Leary's handheld fantasies. Yu emphasizes how the nice guy lives in his head through Joe's creepy narration. A proposal. Why don't we spend the day together tomorrow? Just you and me. The way his internal monologue refers to Beck as you makes it seem as if he's carrying on a conversation with her. Except that, of course, she's not really a part of it. So in many of these cases, as in Vertigo's early subversion of the trope, the nice guy is in love with a phantom. And as soon as the woman shatters that illusion and asserts her individuality, it's no more Mr. Nice Guy. Either she's an evil, emotionless, miserable human being, or she's a robot. The nice guy may feel victimized by more confident men or beautiful women. Why is it pretty girls think they can treat people like crap and get away with it? Centuries of reinforcement. But the truth is that he is his own worst enemy. The character frequently dims his own light through self-sabotage. You're deliberately flunking your courses so that you can stay in high school. You run yourself down, why do you do that? 
In the finale of My So-Called Life, Brian writes a romantic letter to Angela for Jordan to pass off as his own, Cyrano de Bergerac style, and she's blown away by its heartfelt contents. It's like the most incredible letter I've ever gotten. Show creator Winnie Holzman said, It wasn't the Brian that was walking around in life who wrote that letter. He went to this really deep place inside himself, and he wrote from there. That's what spoke to Angela. Holzman's words reveal how Brian has done himself a serious disservice by not showing Angela his true self before this point. Even then, he's hiding behind Jordan. You're using him too to like express your true feelings towards Angela." And when Angela directly confronts Brian to ask if he wrote the letter, and it's implied that she's developing feelings for him too, he still won't take credit for it. And I have to know because- Know what? There's nothing to know. The Perks of Being a Wallflower makes a similar point in the way Charlie sells himself short by not pursuing his crush Sam. Then why didn't you ever ask me out? I, I just didn't think that you wanted that. Well, what did you want? On 13 Reasons Why, Clay never musters the courage to tell his classmate Hannah how he feels about her. The show implies that there's a chance it could have helped Hannah to know someone cared. Why didn't you say this to me when I was alive? Which gets at the point that it's not just himself the nice guy hurts by withdrawing. You can't just sit there and put everybody's lives ahead of yours and think that counts as love. And because he's not able to express himself, he may be lacking in emotional intelligence or empathy for those around him. You don't understand people, Krakow. The nice guy has a tendency to take a passive role in his own life. The pity thing? Not good. If you want crappy things to stop happening to you, then stop accepting crap and demand something more. But by being so self-protective and risk-averse, he lets his feelings fester into self-loathing and ensures that he doesn't get any closer to what he really wants. You know, she probably wouldn't go out with me anyway, but how do I know that for sure if I don't ever ask? So the nice guy needs to develop the courage to face the possibility that his feelings aren't reciprocated, and in confronting this fear, discover that he can survive rejection and move on. If she laughs, she laughs. And if she doesn't love me, she doesn't love me. But if, if I don't find out... In Pretty in Pink, once Ducky gets over his infatuation with Andy, we discover that this guy is genuinely sweet. It looks stunning, really. Just, it's, it's, it's breathtaking. And encouraging his friend to follow her heart. If you don't go to him now, I'm never gonna take you to another prom ever again, you hear me? Makes Ducky feel good, too. So what does a true nice guy look like in our modern world? And how does he differ from the faux nice guy? To all the boys I've loved before's true nice guy, Peter Kavinsky, is that total unicorn who, besides possessing the expected love interest qualities of good looks and self-assurance, is unusually romantic and thoughtful. I even packed his snacks. I asked Kitty where to find those, uh, those yogurt drinks you like so much. The Korean grocery store is all the way across town. I know. Rather than falling in love with an idea of Laura Jean, he takes the time to listen and get to know who she really is. You're a good listener. Peter respects his partner's desires and boundaries. I don't want to rush you. And he treats her not as the subject of his adoration, but as an active participant in the relationship. Now, you know what? If you want me to read that, then you need to give that to me. On Parks and Recreation, real nice guy Ben Wyatt supports his partner's aspirations 100%. I love how independent my wife is. Championing her instead of trying to control or limit her out of fear she'll slip away from him. Indiana native, supremely qualified, and she wrote that she wanted to be governor in her kindergarten dream journal. 
These modern examples of true nice guys call back to authentic ones of the past, too. Jimmy Stewart's George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life is the quintessential nice man audiences love because he cares about others, has a sense of community, and makes sacrifices to help people. I got $2,000. Here's $2,000. This will tide us over to the bank reopens. All right, Tom, how much do you need? Tom Hanks has made a career of playing actual nice guys, and in movies like Splash, that coincided very naturally with getting the girl he loves. So really, it's always been great to be a nice guy. And it still is. What differentiates a real nice guy from the knockoff version is simply authenticity. The faux nice guy's grand gestures can come off as cringeworthy and even manipulative. You'll receive Cliff's Notes versions of his thesis-length emails, listing the things he sees in you that no one else sees. Or he may expect a prize for acting like a decent person. I went to a lot of trouble to solve your dress problem. And I think I at least deserve to see it on you. But while fake niceness abounds in our world, true kindness sets you apart like a diamond in the rough. And in the end, real nice guys finish first. I need you to know that I like you, Peter Kavinsky. And not in a fake way. This video is brought to you by Audible, the audiobook service that offers an unmatched selection of audiobooks and access to exclusive content. Audible members get to choose three titles every month, one audiobook and two Audible originals that you can't find anywhere else. And your unused credits roll over to the next month. Plus, you own your audiobooks so you can go back and listen anytime, even if you cancel your membership. One audiobook you can check out right now on Audible is Malcolm and Me. Ishmael reads reflection on the legacy of Malcolm X, who he met in a life-changing interview in 1960. Start growing your digital library with Audible today. Just click the link in the description below. Audible.com slash the take or text the take to 500 500 to try it out now.